Welcome to Old Books of Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist scholar, wife and mom, lover of Christmas music, which is, of course, the inspiration for this series. And this is the last episode. So Merry Christmas, everybody. It's only in a few days. Advent is almost over. Before I get into the music, just a few reminders that I usually do at the end of each episode. Because this series is structured around receiving music in meditation and thought, these reminders don't fit at the end like they normally do. My Instagram handle and all that seems a little distracting when you're trying to meditate on deep questions about who Jesus is. So let me just remind you here up front, I love to hear from you. Feel free to let me know what you thought about this episode or series or any questions you have. And please go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Old Books with Grace or on Twitter at Grace Hammond PhD. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, subscribe, and if you could, rate it on iTunes. Doing these things helps others to find the podcast and helps me out too. The text of this episode, if you're more of a visual person, is available on oldbookswithgrace.com. A final note before we begin. On my website, oldbookswithgrace.com, or via social media, you can directly support me and this podcast through buymeacoffee.com. If you've been enjoying this series, and only if you've got ample resources and feel moved to do so, I'd appreciate your financial support so that I can keep this podcast going strong for the long haul. Your gifts mainly help me to buy books to keep this podcast accurate and in the know, and they contribute to the small costs of maintenance and upkeep. Thanks for considering it. Today we're celebrating the last week of Advent with O Come All Ye Faithful. Yet again, I have a decided favorite version of this carol available on the Spotify playlist by the true king of Christmas music, Nat King Cole. His voice is wonderfully smooth and soothing, but powerful and stirring at the same time. I hope you've all heard that version that he does of Adeste Fidelis, but if you haven't, please listen and soak it in because it is so worth it. So there are all these fantastical origin theses about O Come All Ye Faithful, which was first known by its Latin title, Adeste Fidelis. It appeared on these, uh, on the European carol singing stage, um, seemingly out of nowhere in the late 18th century, and it gained popularity rapidly. People thought it might be kind of like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, if you can think back and remember the first episode in this series, which was a song from the monks of the distant past, recently brought up from the depths of time through a discovered manuscript. But it wasn't. It was written first in Latin by an English Roman Catholic persecuted for his religion in the 18th century, John Francis Wade. Wade had fled to France where he participated in the time's newfound interest in using the plain chant of the past in church services again. So he was really interested in liturgy, in songwriting, and in um, incorporating past sounds and words into present-day practice. He wrote this song, and it rocketed in popularity in France in its Latin form among the wealthy, who often used it in their private chapels. In England, it also became very popular, 
when it was performed in the Portuguese embassy's chapel for a concert of, quote, ancient religious music, which it was not not ancient, but um, they didn't really know that. So the cool thing is, is that the Portuguese embassy's chapel is still here today. It's no longer connected to the embassy, but it functions as a Catholic chapel in London. So you can go there if you like and imagine the song being played and reaching fame. The tune appears to also have appeared in a comic opera of the time, which seems rather incongruous, but um, I like to think that's maybe why we still feel the joyous hilarity singing up uh, when we sing, surging up from the chorus, oh, come let us adore him, and it kind of speeds you up naturally. I always want to sing it faster and faster. Adeste Fidelis was translated into English many times, but one of the earliest times was at Oxford in the 19th century for the use of the Margaret Chapel at Christ Church. I laughed when I read this because the beginning line in this first sort of popular translation used to be, ye faithful approach ye, which is hmm, unfortunate. Um, Sing that out loud to yourself and you'll realize approach ye is just not very catchy. The author of this translation was eventually forced out of Oxford for becoming a follower of Cardinal John Henry Newman and converting to Roman Catholicism. Thus, this carol is interestingly, fascinatingly linked to English Roman Catholics. And the song endured, even becoming more and more popular despite the ill-treatment of its writers and translators. And eventually, thankfully, Approach Ye was discarded, and it reached the form we know and love today. Let's listen together to our stirring beloved version. Come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of Angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy Jesus, to Thee be all glory give. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore Him, O come, let us adore Fidelis, Lady 
Another wonderful theological poem set to song, thick in meaning, ready for meditation. But let's focus on that chorus, which in that wonderful comic opera tune speeds up our hearts with its urging. Oh, come, let us adore him. Venite adoremus. What does it mean to adore Jesus, especially Jesus the baby whom we greet born this happy morning? I'm reminded of a beautiful Christmas sermon by the medieval theologian and monk, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He pictures us as Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, fearfully hiding in the garden from God. We know God is coming. We hear him moving toward us, and we hide in terror because we know we've done wrong. We're hiding from that magnificent king, the one in utter glory, whom we know we have wronged with our lack of love and our fierce desires for rule. But to our shock, he isn't coming with strong weapons or with a booming voice of wrath. Bernard writes, And in case you are even now saying, I heard your voice and I hid myself. Look, he's a baby and he has no voice. The sound of his crying inspires compassion more than trembling. He became a little child. The virgin mother wraps his tender limbs in swaddling clothes. And do you still tremble with fear? Or will you realize from this that he has not come to destroy, but to save you, not to bind, but to set you free? Bernard sees the infant Jesus as the ultimate coming in peace. He's given up his voice. He's bound himself to unbind you. His humility and his rejection of ultimate power speaks eloquently about his character of love, not fear. I can relate to this. I cringe in anticipation of punishment only to receive tender love and that final banishing of fear. No sacrificial love or radical humility can come close to the omnipotent, omniscient creator God of the universe, becoming a newborn human, unable to command his own bowel movements or his fragile baby neck. In another sermon, Bernard remarked, only the virtue of humility is a restorative for wounded love. He was referring to the incarnation as a profoundly humble response to human creatures who had forgotten how to love. God's humility in coming to us as a baby transforms and heals that wounded love. Bernhard is certainly right. Our love is wounded. We're bad at adoration, especially as adults. 
children are much better at it, but mostly because we've been hurt or embarrassed in the past by how we have loved, who we have loved, how we've shown that love. Love makes you really vulnerable. C.S. Lewis famously writes in The Four Loves, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. What more fittingly, what more clearly could help you to throw your defensive armor and scaly dragon skin away than the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes in Mary's arms? The God who made us and knows us best played his cards perfectly to help us learn how to love again. Very few people have the ability that a speechless, inert baby does to initiate a surprisingly strong but vulnerable love. Anyone who's had a beloved baby family member, either your own child or a friend's or a family member's, and let themselves become open to that infant, recognizes this fact. Not that we were perfect or even did a good job at loving the baby, but loving comes easily. And with it, a discarding of protective armor, even practical protective armor. We suddenly become willing to put up with changing another human's dirty diaper, with waking at odd hours of the night because our love has made it possible, even when we're utterly sleep-deprived, filled with hormonal feelings, or just not that into children in general. I remember how much it scared me when I first had a child of my own, when I had my, my oldest, because I knew that if something ever happened to her, my heart would be so broken. That kind of fierceness and totality of vulnerability and love was almost frightening. This week, our Advent activity is to practice, to exercise our wounded love and adoration, aided by the baby Jesus. It can be very difficult to love the people around us. But sometimes, as you love easier things, it becomes easier to love hard things. Love is not just a feeling, it's also a habit. What do I mean when I say that love is a habit? Habit means that faking it till you make it is okay. It's even part of the process. The moral philosopher Alistair MacIntyre uses the example of chess to explain learning the habit of virtue. At first, when you're bad at the game... Your teacher may use candy or words of affirmation to motivate you to learn how to play well, learn the right moves to make, and the rules of how it all works, what you can and can't do. You don't really love chess for its own sake. You love it for the rewards of it. Eventually, hopefully, 
you learn to just love the game of chess, to relish the beauty and complexity of it in its own right. Habits like virtues, temperance, prudence, fortitude, all those old-fashioned words work the same way. Love is truly a gift from God. It's impossible for us to love well on our own. But practicing, like with chess, and making love a habit in your life, looking at someone and mentally saying, I love you, if not aloud, this helps us to move toward the gift of love even more fully. Think of it this way. Someone may have received a natural gift of creativity or intelligence or athleticism, but practicing that gift strengthens it, gives it flexibility and power. So it is with love, too. Ask yourself, what easily fills up your heart with love? What moves your soul? This could be anything. Pictures of your children when they were babies, your pet on your lap, hike, a particular song, an episode of a TV show or movie, a book that moves you to tears, even a really good meal. Once I was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with my kids, and just the theme song had me weeping with love for humanity for just about one minute. I was pregnant, so I was also on hair-trigger levels of emotion and feeling, and I was likely enraged about something uh, the following second. But the point is, don't feel ashamed about whatever causes that response of love. Your Advent practice this week is to seek out the love response. No one is going to judge you if it comes from Mr. Rogers or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars instead of Handel's Messiah or Shakespeare. It doesn't even matter if it's Christian or not. Seek out the things that move your soul to love this week deliberately. If you can, do that several times. Feel that overwhelming love response. Savor it. Praise God for the gift of that wonderful thing being in the world. Then, follow the chorus call of O Come All Ye Faithful, O Come Let Us Adore Him, and direct that welling up love towards the baby in the manger, or toward those around you who are Christ's body here. Even if that love is extremely fragile and thin, or only in the words you practice saying, exercise that adoration. As with any of these activities, Only do this if it feels helpful to you. If you're in a place of grief or weariness where you're utterly exhausted and adoration feels far away, take a blessed nap instead, as I suggested in the Coventry Carol episode. In this case, I like to consider napping an act of adoration in its own right because it is actually an imitation of the baby Jesus asleep in the manger. If you'd like to make this adoration exercise a little more concrete, or if the feelings are hard, but you can do something intentional with your body, which I've been there. There've been times in my life where I've been grateful for a bodily action because the mental was just too tough at the moment. Here's something you can do. Carry around a baby Jesus from a nativity set with you this week in your pocket or purse. Do you remember when you were a small child And you saw something really, really cute, like a baby chick or a kitten. And you could hardly contain yourself from squeezing it, even till it died. Hopefully that didn't actually happen to you, but I'm pretty sure most of us have had that impulse. 
Well, since that baby Jesus is just from the nativity, you could squeeze him in your fist as tight as you'd like and fulfill those childhood adoration desires. Merry Christmas, friends. Oh, come let us adore him. Venite adoremus. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this to thee be all glory give. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, O Venite adoremus, venite.